0: Anyway, my teacher sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened, and he laughed too. And then he told me not to do it again. The next day in class, my teacher asked me what my favorite live animal was. I told her it was chicken. She asked me why, just like she had asked the other children. So I told her it was because you could make them into fried chicken. he sent me back to the principal's <laughs> office. He laughed and told me not to do it again. I don't understand. My parents taught me to be honest, but my teacher doesn't like it when I am. Today, my teacher asked us to tell her what famous person we admire most. I told her, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Guess where I am now. <laughs> it's important we don't uh, we don't live in reaction to the devil if I live in reaction to the powers of darkness then the powers of darkness have influence over my agenda they're not worthy Jesus taught us to live in response to the Father. He said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my Father say. The quickest way to get in line with the purity and the power of Jesus is to have a heart for the Father's voice. To learn what His voice is like. To learn what what it's like when He speaks. And He doesn't always speak in English. In fact, I, I, I I think as much as the Um, The still small voice is an important way for us to hear. He likes to speak uniquely. He speaks through unusual circumstances, through strange coincidences. His language is so much different than we sometimes uh, live with an awareness of. But every time he talks, there's life. Every time he talks and we respond, the kingdom comes. The king is manifested. Glory begins to fill the earth in yet another level. See, it started a long time ago. Put Adam and Eve on a planet that has was apparently occupied by the enemy. Because the assignment they were given was to be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Subdue is a military term. Things are outside of order, outside of this garden that I've created for you to live in. And so I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have a life that's productive. I want you to multiply. I want you to have children who have children who have children. And as you expand, as a family, I want you to extend the boundaries of this kingdom until the entire earth is occupied by those who are in right relationship with me. You see, Satan wanted to be worshipped. He longed for the worship that was, was going to God. And, um, and this whole split came in heaven where he was kicked out and a third of the angels with him. It says the dragon's tail swept a third of the stars under their domain. I don't know if that specifically refers to angels or if it actually refers to planets. and We, we don't know about that. That may be too big of a thought for us. But the point is, is that the earth was occupied and enemy and Eve were planted here to do a takeover. The divine makeover. That rhymes. I didn't even mean it. And as they you see, the enemy has never been a threat to God. It's with simply a word. It can destroy the complete demonic realm in a heartbeat. There's 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 no threat whatsoever. Satan is not the opposite of God. He's the opposite of Michael, the archangel. He's a created being, he has limitations. He's been severed from his life source, so he dies even as we speak. It's like a branch cut off from a tree. It may be green when you cut it off. The leaves still may be there. The fruit still may be on it, but it's been severed from its life source. And so the Lord, because this serpent wanted to be worshipped, the Lord actually created us in his image, those who would worship by choice and planted us on a planet. To take over a planet that was in chaos by people who worshiped by choice. The ultimate affront, the ultimate conflict with the whole thing that got into the devil's head. Adam and Eve fell, you know the story. Jesus came, took our place in death. It's an amazing thing to me. I still I still am stunned. I, I like I love the gospel because it's, you can understand it in a sense you can experience, but you can't comprehend it. No matter what layer you peel back and get another level of understanding on, he's going to yet peel back another one. You know, he's, he's going to constantly keep us in mystery because mystery is as important as revelation. What you don't know is as important as what you do know. And so the Lord took upon himself what I deserved. So that I could get what he deserved. And there's never been a better deal. And when he rose from the dead, he took, he stood in Matthew 28 before the disciples and really before all humanity that had come to him through the ages. And he said, All authority's been given to me. Now think about it. When he says all authority, that means there's somebody that has no authority. Remember the branch cut off from the tree? (laughs) All authority has been given to me. Therefore, go. In other words, what what he was declaring is, let's get back to plan A. My desire was for a planet to be encompassed and covered with the rule of God through yielded people. That was the plan. It was the plan from day one. And in John 1, excuse me, John 2, when Jesus turned the water to wine, I think it's verse 11, it says, and these things Jesus did manifesting his glory. So think about this. Every time you pray for somebody with just a sore muscle, I don't care if it's that or it's cancer or what, but when you pray that healing power is released, glory is actually released into the atmosphere. See, he's got an agenda. He's got a plan. It's it's a plan not just to get you into heaven. It's Obviously, you've heard it said, it's a plan to get heaven into us. And that's that's true. But it's, it's also through us to rearrange life around us. See, things will change around you according to what's in you. The, your internal reality will always become your external reality. If you're filled with conflict and you're just really battling with stuff, it will show. It'll leak out somewhere where you let your guard down because everybody lets their guard down. And this it's maybe with the kids, it may be with the dog, you know, it's going to be somewhere the guard's going to let down. And that reality of conflict that is internal is going to be, it is going to take shape in the world around you. The internal reality is such a big deal. It's the reason Jesus could stand before a storm after he had been woken up by the disciples. He could stand before a storm and speak peace over the storm. And the storm would have to yield. He released through word form what was in Him. How do we know it was in Him? Because He slept in the middle of a life-threatening storm. You have authority over any storm you can sleep in. He took the internal reality and released it to the world around Him. And the storm had to yield. Learning to capture or to dwell, to live in the realms of heaven internally is a big deal. It's the big challenge because it has a lot to do with how we shape the atmosphere of the world around us. The Lord is certainly after the salvation of souls. I mean that's obviously that's an over That's the big deal. That's what we've been focused on for as long as I can remember. It's been it's been a, the real heartbeat of the church to get people saved and and I can only say amen to that. We we've 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 got to do that. And Bob has been prophesying this billion soul harvest for quite a while and right now is the beginning of that thing. Unveiling, and I, I really believe in that. But but I want to I want to encourage you something. The couple of days that I have uh, to talk to you, culture needs to be targeted. The transformation of personal life, how I how I face a problem will determine my breakthrough. How I face a blessing will, ter- will determine my promotion in favor. How I, how I handle conflict, the way I handle I can delay the breakthrough or I can quicken the breakthrough. It's how I respond to conflict. It's how I respond to a challenge or problem. It determines my breakthrough. But how I handle the realm of blessing and increase on my life really determines the increase of favor. So it says Jesus increased in favor with God and man. Now I understand why he needed an in, increase in favor with God. I'm Excuse me, with man, because he's got to work with us. You know, he'd be in Zacchaeus' house. He needed to have favor there. He needed to have favor in all these places where he would, where he would speak. But why someone who is perfect, who has never sinned, needs to increase in favor? I still don't have an answer. All I, all I know is that if he did, boy, do I ever need to increase in favor with God. And the way we increase in favor with God is how we handle the blessings in our life. See, Proverbs says that a man is tested by the praise accorded to him. See, if you don't know how to handle honor correctly, you won't have anything to throw at his feet. See, many people, in the name of humility, will actually reject honor. And there's a place for it, as uncomfortable as it is. There's a place to do it correctly and then give him all the honor, give him all the glory, give him all the credit for things. But to religiously pass off somebody saying, thank you for that beautiful song, and say, oh, it wasn't me, it was Jesus... Well, it wasn't that good i'm I'm pretty sure if Jesus would have sung it, it would have been better but. Back to the subject. We have the privilege of changing the nature of the world around us. But we can only do it consistently where we've had internal breakthrough. See, personal private breakthrough positions us for public breakthrough. David beat the lion and the bear when no one was watching. It qualified him to face Goliath when two nations were watching. And the Lord wants people that he can trust with a breakthrough anointing. But it's not because you have a successful public ministry. If you get public breakthrough and you don't have personal intimate encounters with God where there's personal breakthrough, then you have chosen where you're going to level off. The gift remains, but you cannot advance where God intended you to advance. So here's this deal, the personal breakthrough. I I believe so much in, in the glory of the Lord filling the earth. And the disciples had this idea that the kingdom was going to come through some sort of like a military invasion or something. I, I might even talk to you about it a little, little bit more fully at another session. But they had, this, they had this idea that there was going to be this military invasion, a takeover. Give, it was going to be a quick takeover where Jesus was made king. And Jesus came to them with a parable, parable uh, with the minas, you know, where the, the servants took minas and they went and invested in, over a process they got increased. And after that process, they got immediate promotion and breakthrough. The point being is that sometimes we think things are going to change suddenly when God wants to change them through process. And if we don't value the process of the work of the Spirit of God in us and through us, then we keep looking ahead for something other than where we are. We, we need to enjoy the fields that we're feeding in at the moment. You know, we're, we're, we're in green pastures. He has taken us into rich moments in history. And, uh, and regardless of what personal issues you may have, personal challenges, the moment, it, the, the point is, is that historically we are in the absolute richest moment in all of history. And there's so many people that don't know it and they keep waiting for something else to happen. And what, just basically what it means is you're sitting, you've got a silver platter in front of you, you've got the finest meal on the planet, and yet looking for something else. And I, I really feel that. That it's time we recognize the moment that we're in, and that we give God thanks for it. We acknowledge what it is. You see, you take a small apple that's bitter and, and uh, really it's not ready to eat, and you take one that's fully ripe. They're both hundred percent apple. And a revival in its smallest forms is still a hundred percent revival. And it doesn't do God any. It doesn't give Him any glory for us to say, "Well, this isn't," you know, because we can look historically and say, "Well, it's not what it." You know, maybe what happened here and what happened there. This was different here. This was different there. And downgrade the value of what God is doing. There is no increase for those who can't be entrusted with small things. It's a big deal that we recognize the the subtle shifts and changes in culture and society, in the church, in our lives, the experiences that we have. It's valuable that we recognize these things and give God the honor for them, give Him, acknowledge that these things are from God and these things... Are rich and powerful. I remember uh, s- several years ago, I went down to Argentina because I wanted to see what was happening there. I'd heard they'd been in revival for, you know, 20 some years. And I just wanted to see it myself. So I went down with Randy Clark and and just went down to to taste their wine, so to speak, and uh, see what vintage they were carrying and what God was doing and, and uh, had a wonderful time. But I came back with a conviction, you know, it's the same anointing. They've been doing it for 20 years. I've been doing it for a few. But it's the same, it's a small apple. And if I don't treasure what is developing, I may unintentionally kill the thing. Does that make sense? So the Lord has this. Intention, and he's fairly successful. When he gets it in his mind to do something, it's it's, it's pretty much going to happen. And he's got this plan to fill this planet with his glory. You know, it's it's kind of it's kind of a bummer. You you read the Earth's going to be destroyed with fire, and then you find out we inherit it. Can we talk? (laughs) So here Jesus releases a miracle and glory is released into the earth. You'll notice in Revelation that frequently the words glory and power are worked together in the same breath. And the reason is because they work together. One releases the other. Why is that important? Because the Lord intends to fill the earth with His glory. And while the church waits for... A sudden invasion to change things. I believe the Lord is saying, "Embrace the process, because Christ in you is the hope of glory." I believe it was unto that goal that the Lord had Paul write that phrase, "Christ in you is the hope of glory." Now, I want to. Uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit um, in this morning session. Why don't you start with me in Exodus? Um, 33 we're just going to take two verses and then uh, some of the verses I'll just quote to you but I do like for people to see it in their own Bibles it's horrible though when you look for that same verse in another Bible it's not on the right side of the page at the bottom you know three paragraphs down but in Exodus 33 33 Moses was up on the mountain with the Lord on, on several occasions, but there's only one time that he came down with the glory of God on his face. And I, I think it needs to be I, th- I think we need to pay attention to when God chose to let him come off the mountain with literally the manifest presence of Jesus still stuck to him. He would come to something in the heart of God that he couldn't leave on the mountain. It actually affected him when he came down. And I believe it's a very simple uh, phrase. He says in verse 18, he says, please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord to you. The only time that Moses came off the mountain reflecting the glory of the Lord was when he saw the goodness of the Lord. And I want to prophesy to you, I do believe that the Lord is changing the face of his church through a revelation of his glory, of his goodness. The revelation of glory is the revelation of his goodness. The cornerstone of our theology, it's not an add-on, it's not a PS. The cornerstone of our theology is the goodness of the Lord. He's better than we think, so we've got to change the way we think. That is changing the face of the church through a revelation of his glory Hosea 3 verse 5 says in the last days people will fear God because of his goodness Jeremiah 31 verse 9 says something almost the exact same phrase it's the goodness of the Lord that is going to capture the hearts of people it's never been seen before in a way that needs to be seen it's See, to see something in God is is to have before you an opportunity to experience something. See, every time the Lord brings you into an encounter, into any kind of an experience with Him, it's the entrance to an inheritance. He never brings us, for example, into joy to taste it and then leave us wanting the rest of our life. When he brings us into that experience of joy, he puts within us a key to come back into that realm anytime we feel that it's needed because we are stewarding our own garden. And many people sit in service after service waiting for joy to return or waiting for you know, miracles or glory or whatever it might be, just fill in the blanks, but waiting for something to happen that used to happen, not realizing when the Lord takes us into an experience, he actually takes us into a realm that is the beginning place of an inheritance. And how we steward that authority to re-enter really uh, tells a lot of our maturity and our our strength, uh, our sense of authority in, in the things of the kingdom. We've got a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God. So many people think that the sovereignty of God leaves you and me out of the picture, and any definition of his sovereignty that doesn't include you is really incorrect. Because for some reason he has chosen to be influenced by you. That's what friends do. You know, servants are different. Servants don't know what their master is doing. The implication is friendship has access to the inner workings of the heart and the mind of the friend. And in that context he says to you, ask whatever you will, it will be done for you. What's the point? He makes himself vulnerable to the desires of his people. Something happens as we come into this place of intimacy with the Lord that he actually is interested in my thoughts and ideas. Well, listen, the last thing in the world I want is to try to convince God of something. I'm not impressed with any of my ideas. I've I've tried many of them. They don't work. So why would I want anything that, you know, anything that would come into my heart? Why would I want God to listen to that? I've experienced the result of my desires. It's not fun. And yet something happens when we come into that place of intimacy with the Lord that our desires actually become the offspring of a relationship. It's because you know Him, things in you are formed in you that are not there by command. I don't buy into this thing that the only time we pray and get answered prayers is that he told us to pray something, so we prayed it, and then it gave him permission to do it. I, I don't think it's like that. That's too robotic, and he's just, I mean, he could have created robots robots for that. He could have created, you know, an entire class of being that had no choice. See, there always has to be, for you and me, there always has to be two trees in a garden. There always has to be an option, because if there's no options, there's no rewards for our choices. It's a kingdom of rewards. And so what the Lord does is he brings us into this relationship. And then he draws near. And in that he says, he puts it this way in in John 15. He says, if you abide in me, it's that sense of the indwelling presence not only is in me, but I'm in him. That presence that just surrounds me, that just resting in the presence of God. And then his words become active and living and embraced and decreed and prayed. His word abides in me. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it'll be done. So it's an amazing context. It's like we get brought into this incubator, if you will. And in this incubation period things are formed in us that we were born for. And they appear as desires. I mean it's 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 a strange life that we lead. You know we we come to Jesus it's this straight and narrow road. The only way to the Father is through the door, of Christ Jesus. There is no other way. We come to this door. It's not my will, but yours be done. It's God. I lay down everything because you, you know you don't you don't get to have you don't get to take your own you know sinfulness and selfishness and all that stuff into the kingdom. You you, you come to Jesus. You just say yes to everything. God, I give up everything. I give up. Everything about me I give to follow Jesus. And you go through that door, and the farther you walk with God, he changes the subject. Whereas out here, I had no will but to give up. Inside, he wants to know what I'm thinking. And that's completely different than it was on the outside. On the outside, I didn't get to make my own contract. I had to sign his, which basically said, I have to die. It's pretty simple, actually, following Jesus. It's just die. <laughs> you come to that door, and it's, just, it's all or nothing. It's, you, don't, you, know, you don't graduate into, into surrender. You don't say, well, I want to be 90% selfish, 10% yielded. This doesn't work that way. You either say yes, or you say no. So I said yes. I come into the kingdom. And then he starts saying, what do you want to do about this? Okay, I just want your will. Yeah, I know, but what do you want? Just your will be done, Lord, your will. Yeah, I know that. But if you could do whatever you you could think of, what would would you want to do? I just want your will. Son, be quiet. (laughs) I asked you, what do you want to do? And that, that part of the relationship is so awkward for us because religion has taught us to not dream. One of the greatest difficulties we have in places where there's a wonderful move of the Spirit of God, as there is here. As we have people who constantly crucify the resurrected man in the name of discipleship. I thought that was a good point, Bill. Just keep that up. (laughs) Keep that up. Say it again. You missed it? One of the greatest problems for us, especially with those wonderful moves of the Spirit of God, is if people come to Christ, their lives are changed, they're yielded, but then the big problem is we continue to crucify the resurrected man in the name of discipleship. We keep killing the thing that God has raised. See, you can't get get a resurrection without death, but once you get the resurrection, you better go with it. You know, you, you, better, you better see what it is that God has formed in you. And because of such a crazy understanding of God's goodness, it's just bizarre some of the things. See, when you, when you attribute to the, to the devil, excuse me, when you attribute to God the conflict the devil brings in your life, which many Christians do, they say, oh, this is God just trying, he's just dealing with me, he's just doing this and that. We misunderstand so much of what comes our way, thinking it's God's dealing with us when you continue to do that, you lose your ability to discern the actual work of the Lord. And you're in constant conflict. You live in constant conflict because you're such a mess. Listen, everything that Jesus ever promised to you, he took our stupidity into account. (laughs) He took took full consideration... He took full consideration of the sin issue. And I don't know if you've read your Bible lately, but the Bible says your old nature is dead. No, I mean dead. It's as dead as Jesus died, because that's, that's how it died. I mean, if you believe in the death of Christ, then you have to believe your old nature is dead. Some have taken that to mean, well, it means we can't sin. No, unfortunately, that's not true. I wish it was, but I just can't blame my old nature. says, we were buried in Christ, resurrected into his life. That is the new believer. It's, a, it's a so extreme that he says, in verse 13 of Romans 6, he says, even so, in other words, consistent with this reality, Jesus died and was raised again. Consistent with that, consider yourself dead to sin. Not consider yourself weak to sin. you look at sin, it's like a third shoe. Where am I going to put it? I have no place for it. See, it's not mind over matter. It's renewed mind. See, our mind's either renewed or it's at war with God. There's no middle ground for us. So let's uh, let's do this. We'll just jump to Luke 16 and, and see if we can make some sense out of this. Luke 16. You guys doing all right? You're alive. Oh, that's a bummer. I had fewer alive people than I had people that were all right. <laughs> so that's all right. Luke 16. Verse 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. The law and the prophets were until John. What does that mean? The law and the prophets were until John. They had a voice. They had a season. And it was a righteous voice. And it was a righteous season. There was no blemish to it. It was not given to us. The law and the prophets were not given to us in an inefficient manner, in a defective way. It was perfect for its season. But it was for a season. And the season of the law and the prophets had three primary ambitions. In, In my thinking, there may be dozens. But there's three that I understand. The first one is the Scripture says that law was given to reveal sin. It's the law that is written in the hearts of man. It's the law of Moses, if you want to get specific. It's the law that was given to reveal the sinful condition of man. Without the revelation of sin, there can be no revelation of the need of a Savior. And so there was this release of law that judged and brought an awareness of sinful condition. Secondly, as a result of the first one, is there becomes a corporate and individual awareness of the personal need of a Savior. But thirdly, according to Scripture, it says the law was the tutor that led us to Christ. It was the law that pointed to the answer. In other words, here, you're sinful. Number two, you're hopeless. Number three, oops, I just found hope. Here's Jesus. There's only one possible way out of this problem. The law was given to reveal the severity of sin. That's why I love the law because in the law everything's fatal. You know, you just die. You, you know, if they do it wrong, you just kill them. That's kind of the answer. And and while you're at it, just kill every nation around you. Just let's, let's just wipe out everybody. And you got a rebellious kid? Take him out back. We just stone him. That's just the that's the answer, pretty much to everything. And the law was given to reveal the severity of sin. It was so severe that if you were carrying a sacrifice, uh, let's say a lamb, to the temple to, or the tabernacle to be offered as an offering, um, and an unclean person uh, came and touched that lamb, that lamb would now be considered unclean. Because in the Old Testament context, unrighteousness, uncleanness, defilement is stronger The severity of sin is revealed in that context. You touch a leper, you get real merciful, you touch the leper, guess what? You're now unclean. That's the Old Testament way. But in the New Testament, when you touch the leper, the leper becomes clean. In the Old Testament, when the law was given, 3,000 people died. But in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit was given, 3,000 people were born again. Because it is a different day. But unfortunately, many people, many believers still are trying to follow an Old Testament pattern for ministry. They get their identity out of the, out of the judgments, all the issues that the law and the prophets were supposed to bring in their season. For example, in Luke 9, um, Jesus is going through Samaria and the Samaritans reject him. And James and John, in fact, why don't you just turn to it? It's, it's, to me, it's a hilarious chapter. It is. It's just a funny chapter. for you, uh, I'll just I'll just take you through it real quick. Luke nine. Am I in the right chapter? Yes, I am. Jesus at the beginning of the chapter, down verses. Um, Verse 2, he release, he gives to them power and authority. And then um, they go out and they're released to their own cities and they experience a bunch of miracles. And after they come back, they get the disciples get into this discussion up in verse 46. They start arguing as to who's the greatest. That's awesome. You just get anointed with power. You get sent out to change the world. And you come back and you start debating who's the greatest. Now, why did they do that? Because, you know, Peter went to his city, John went to his city, Peter knew, John wasn't at my meetings. If he would have been there, he would have realized, I am the most anointed of the group. <laughs> and John's thinking the same thing. He's thinking, you know, James, and Peter, all these guys, you know, if they would have just been with me, they would have realized, oh, what Jesus did was stunning, it's amazing, I have the greatest anointing. So they're doing this debate thing. And this is after they got chosen by God and you know anointed to send out in ministry. So first they're arguing as to who's the greatest. Secondly, in verse 49 and 50, um, they want to they want to scold some people that are preaching Jesus, but they aren't in their club. And so they've got this exclusive you know inner court party going on. And they say, Jesus, see those folks over there? They're doing all this stuff in your name, and uh, we can handle them if you'd like. We can, we, can, we can go talk to them, because it's obvious they don't really carry the same stuff that we carry. <laughs> and so they've, they've, got, they've got this individual arrogance. They've got this sectarianism pride thing going on. And they move to the, uh, the next one, and this is the story of uh, Samaritan Village that rejects Jesus. It says in verse 53, they did not receive him. His face was set for Jerusalem. And his disciples, James and John, saw this. They said, Lord, you want us to command fire to come down on them from heaven and consume them as Elijah did. that awesome. Now the spirit of murder jumps on them. They got they got this arrogant thing on them. And then they got the sectarian, and then they move into murder. And they want to murder in Jesus' name and fry an entire city. And what did they do? They used Elijah. For the standard. Yesterday's anointing is like yesterday's manna. Elijah's anointing was perfect for its day. And we celebrate. I mean, my goodness. Think about this. When, when uh, John the Baptist came along, the Lord spoke of him as, as having the, the spirit of Elijah upon him. He was the one who prepared the way uh, for the Messiah to come. Think about this. And just look at this uh, reasoning. He had, this, he had the spirit of Elijah. Not only that, Jesus said he was the greatest of all Old Testament prophets. Well, if he's the greatest of all Old Testament prophets, why didn't Jesus say he had the spirit of Elisha? Elisha had twice what Elijah had. Because the honor always goes to the father of the movement. See, we, don't, we think in terms of size. Kingdom looks at those who start with little and get beginnings. See, every time you and I move into risk, we're actually creating a momentum that we may not see the full benefit of, but there's another generation that's standing in line to run with that thing. And we have, we have to be willing to realize, you know what our, my actions, I may not see the full benefit of them in my lifetime, but we've been called to live for a generation we'll never see. So he wants to call down fire as Elisha did. That, that day, that day is over, even though people still are trying to fall, call down fire on San Francisco. People, people are wanting to destroy all these places that Jesus is looking for people that will go into, that will redemptively serve, display his kingdom, preach with power. You know, it's, he's, he's good. It doesn't mean he's no longer a judge. Doesn't mean he, he doesn't you know he lost any standard for righteousness. It's just Jesus came to reveal the Father. P- picture this. Jesus is standing there, and these religious guys bring a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. I don't know where the guy was, but the woman caught in the act of adultery. <laughs> it usually takes two, at least that's the way I understand it. But anyway, caught in the act of adultery, throws her at the feet of Jesus, and they've got stones in their hand ready to stone her, because that's what Moses, the law of Moses said. Well, where did the law of Moses come from? It came from God. But Jesus came to reveal the Father. This is important to grasp, because nothing before Jesus revealed the Father. It's why he came. I don't know if you realize this, but the ultimate revelation that Jesus brought to the earth was the revelation of the Father. To an orphaned planet, he said, "I will not leave you as orphans." It's an orphaned planet, and he came to reveal the Father in John 17, that great prayer where he's talking with the Father. He says, "Father," he said, I he says I made your name manifest." He said, "I revealed, I, I declared your words, I performed your works." He's checking with the Father. Everything was about revealing this Father. That's why he said it. it's in that context. He says, "I, I don't do anything unless it's, unless it's from the Father. I only do what He." What, he, what I see him do and I only see what I hear him say. The whole ambition was to unveil the Father because it was an orphan planet that had no idea what the Father was like. No comprehension at all what the Father was like. And so he stood there to reveal the Father. In fact, he told his disciples, Thomas got into a little argument at one point, And Jesus said, no. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one, he declared. Everything you see me do is the Father. So, the woman's caught in adultery. He starts writing in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. I've heard some good sermons on what it might have been, but we still don't know what he wrote. (laughs) But whatever he wrote released such an atmosphere of grace that everyone bound by law had to flee. And he turned to her. After all all these guys with the the rocks, they, they left. He turned to her and he said, Where are your accusers? She said, There isn't any. They're all gone. And he said, Neither do I accuse you. Just don't sin anymore. Who was that? That was the Father. The same one who said, The soul that sins shall die. Anyone caught in adultery shall be stoned. Said, neither do I accuse you, go and sin no more. What had happened? There was a shift, a shift in seasons. One was preparatory, the other was the actual. It's what everything pointed to was the day we live in. Without living, with a consciousness of the significance of the moment we live in, we will constantly cry out for something that is to come. Let me put it differently. If we are constantly crying out for something to come, we may not realize where we are. The hour that we live in is extremely significant. In the kingdom, promotion, acceleration comes from proper use of what you've been given. And there are so, so many who live at the most glorious time and yet have taken very little recognition of the moment they live in. If we, if we, does this make sense? If we lived with a consciousness of, of what God is doing, what He has done, the momentum that has been created. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy. It's what's happening all over the earth. I, I get to travel the globe, so I get to see things that have happened within five years. It's stunning. It's, it's it's frighteningly wonderful to see the progression that is happening in the church worldwide, places that have never had a move of God in their life. Never in their life. There's the rumblings of the Spirit of God where absolutely anything can happen. And it's happening on all levels of society. It's happening by a people who have decided to, to stop pretending like it's not now. Stop stop. You know, I believe in hunger, I believe in pursuit, I believe in pulling tomorrow into today. You know, I I, I really I really try to live with that. But but I cannot do that at the expense of mishandling the moment I've been given. It's really a big deal to know the hour that we live in. This is what all the prophets pointed to. All of them spoke of this particular hour, this particular day. They all lived. The kings, the prophets of the Old Testament all longed to see what you and I get to live in, what we get to experience on a, on a daily basis, what we have access to. And so the thing that I want to do in coming here to stand with this leadership team is to serve you in this way, to, to stir up a realization for what's already been done. The law and the prophets were until John. They don't have a voice anymore. The only voice they have is to give us prophetic pictures of New Testament realities. But it is the New Testament reality we want. Amen, Bill. That's right. I mean, I'm asked constantly, well, you know, they'll bring it, up you know when we talk about God healing people, what about Job? I'm not Job's disciple. I mean, I'm Jesus' disciple.
1: Job is the question. Jesus is the answer.
0: I'm not going to give a question more authority than I give the answer. <laughs> See, you can't you can't pull something out of the Old Testament, um, something that uh, happened to anybody in the Old Testament. You can't pull that out and have that trump or cancel the clear manifestation of the Father found in Jesus. If you keep doing that, you'll eventually go back to animal sacrifices. This canceled the need for it. this. All of this Old Testament pointed to. Him coming. Once he comes, we don't need to go back. So, what does it say? The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached. Listen to the phrase: "And everyone is pressing into it. Everyone is pressing into it." Amazing promise. Everyone. Now, I don't. I don't. I'm not. Into, I don't buy universalism or. Everybody ends up, you know, saved. I, un- unfortunately, there's, there are people that, uh, that are dying and going to hell as I speak. You know that reality as I do. But these promises are waiting in Scripture for somebody to adopt them. They are not supposed to be glanced over a moment of excitement and then move on in life. They're supposed to shape how we think and see. In 2 Corinthians 1 it says in him all in Jesus all the promises of God are yes and then it says and we are the amen There's two sides to the contract here's his will but there has to be a confirmation why it's just the role you play it's the job we have well why do I need to be to confirm God's will listen Jesus didn't even come. He, the Father didn't even send Jesus as the Messiah until first there were intercessors praying for him to come. There had to be an amen on earth. <laughs> You know, you would think if there was anything that God was going to accomplish on his own, at least he would just say, I'm sending Jesus, like it or not, here he comes. You know, ready or not, here he comes. He didn't do that. He first, the Holy Spirit began to stir the hearts of people, the promises of Scripture for Messiah, they began to intercede. That's why after the birth of Christ, Anna and Simeon were able to see this child. So if the Lord has so linked his purposes on the planet to what you and I do, then it's probably a good idea that we uh, that we wake up to the responsibility, yes. and realize that there's an amen. His his what he has accomplished is perfect. His will on the planet is is heaven. Heaven. He didn't say heaven on earth to keep us excited till he returned. Two thousand years was a long time to stay emotionally up (laughs) he gave it as a promise hoping to hook somebody that would see what god intends and settle for nothing less these promises are all through scripture here's another one he says and since that time the kingdom has been preached and everyone is pressing into it now the gospel of salvation has been preached for hundreds of years Recently, the church is being awakened to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation is a part of the gospel of the kingdom. He said, when this gospel of the kingdom is preached in all the earth, in all the world, to all the peoples, then the end will come. He didn't say the gospel of salvation. Why? Because it's the gospel of the kingdom that brings the release of the manifestation of the Father to an orphaned planet and the demonstration of power to people who are in possible situations. That promise is saying, because if you look through Jesus' life, whenever he preached the gospel of the kingdom, miracles took place. It's the gospel of the kingdom that releases the glory and the power. And so he says, he says, since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. The kingdom, king's domain, the realm of the king's dominion. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 20, he prays for this guy who's demonized. He said, He uses that as illustration. He says, if I cast a demon out of you by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God came upon you. He's trying to show them the nature of this kingdom, what it looks like. It's not a military invasion over a planet. It's the overwhelming invasions of the, of, of the presence upon a person that is in torment or disease or bondage of sin, whatever it might be. It's, it's the presence of the king, his dominion that comes upon a person until that person's circumstances shift and change to be like, like, uh, like God intends. Right? All right. So since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. Here's the question Is it possible that the size of the harvest is determined by the nature of the message? See, when you come to people and you let them know that the king is near and the answers are present and they are now. We get out of this Russian roulette mentality that who knows, maybe you'll get a miracle, maybe you won't. Jesus never pulled that one. We do, so we can feel better about the lack of breakthrough. But the gospel of the kingdom is present tense answers. Well, the gospel of the kingdom of God is at hand. It is within reach. It's in the here. It's in the now. Is there more to come? Well, of course there is. But the more doesn't come until I properly use what I've been given. So the message is, listen, there's an answer, and it's present, and it's now. And I will agree with you for this breakthrough. It's key to the harvest. You and me carrying this good news. It's not good in a tainted way, in a twisted sort of way. It is good news, 100% good. And in the last days, people will fear God because of his goodness. What do you think Paul meant when he said that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance? I believe the Lord wants to rework things for us and give us a revelation of His goodness, because I believe it'll change the face of the church. It'll shift and change what we're what we're capable of bringing to this planet, what we're capable of bringing to society. Now, let me. Let me end. Uh, when I say ending, that's relative. It's just we're closer than we were. <laughs> <You know. laughs> Here's my ambition and the thing I've been harping on almost, in a sense, at home and places where I have um, authority and influence is to talk about the shift and change of culture, the whole internal reality that we talked about. It's really vital that we get personal victories with God, that the issues that cause us to be afraid, that we get those things settled. Fear is, is an absolute thief. Fear reduces decrees to Petitions. We've been positioned by the Lord through decree to shift and to change reality and to cause things to change and to happen differently in the course of history. The authority has been given to us to do those things, not at whim, not carelessly, but as we hear from the Father to make these decrees. But fear reduces us from ones who make change, who instead we petition and ask God to come and make the changes. When in fact the word released through your lips is supposed to change things. It's a a real mystery. It's one of the great mysteries of the kingdom to me, is is the fact that in uh, John 6, Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. My words are spirit and they are life. So here's Jesus, the word of God made flesh. But now when he speaks, the word of God is made spirit. It's the reason the atmosphere changes any time he spoke. Every time he spoke, it changes. It says they, 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 they couldn't believe the grace-filled words that were coming out of his mouth. They couldn't believe the atmospheric shift that took place over a crowd once he started talking. Why? Because words become spirit. Why is that important? The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy. What's the next phrase? In the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty is the evidence of the presence of the king in his kingdom. All of his subjects are free. The Holy Spirit carries the realm of the kingdom. That's why when Jesus spoke, he would speak and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What did he mean? There's a reality existing over you that is now within reach because I started talking to you. See, when you say what's on the heart of the Father, you actually change the options of everyone who hears you. So there's release of heavenly realities through decree, through speech. People around you start thinking of things that are possible that they formerly didn't think was possible. Culture changes, shifts with us, and it has to be central first and foremost. Is that this supernatural culture, this kingdom culture, is all um, it all rotates around the value of the presence of God. The supreme treasure for for us is God Himself, without question, the absolute treasure. When a culture is built around that which values God's presence, it has an effect on society itself. Now, what I want you to look at, look at is this, is that a culture is kind of like a greenhouse. If you were um, growing flowers or vegetable plants or trees, whatever it might be, you have this greenhouse in which you're able to control the amount of light that these plants get, the atmosphere of humidity, um, the amount of water that they receive, um, the temperature. All of this stuff is controlled in a greenhouse. Why? Because you have certain seeds that you want to grow easily. So what do you do? You create the atmosphere in the greenhouse for the seeds you want to grow to grow easily. Does that make sense? That's what culture is. Culture, a kingdom culture, as it impacts society, becomes the greenhouse that causes the seeds of righteousness to rise up within society to grow easily. The things that were hard to grow a decade ago are now easy to grow because of the shift that is happening in the consciousness of the, of the citizens of the cities we live in. This is really a big deal. We, we have to think in terms of more than getting somebody to repeat a prayer. Uh, and, and I don't ever want to devalue that because I, I, just, I just am rocked every time I see someone come to Christ. But our vision has to be for culture itself to shift and to change. And it means we have to change. It means that culture is not just attending church, paying tithes, worshiping God, singing songs in our services. It has, it has to be something that's different than that. It has, to, it has to impact how we do family life. Impact. See, culture is is, uh, it is shaped by, by our beliefs, by our relational boundaries, our our practices, the way we do life, the way we handle problems, the way we handle successes, all these things, what we do with, with promotions, how we handle uh, uh, finances, all these realms, that's what shapes culture. And when that internal reality becomes something that we give priority to and those issues of life become settled, we're in a place to actually shift and impact uh, the nature of culture of the cities we live in until, until they start thinking thoughts they would never think. See, what happens is culture, culture is what? It's shifting atmosphere. What a kingdom culture does is it changes the atmosphere that rests over a city, and it changes what people are become conscious of. Whereas in one season of your city, maybe they're constantly aware of the traumas and the difficulties of life, and they hate this person and that group and that you know, and there's that kind of thing going on in the city and people just have to almost fight to not, you know, to not become hostile. Sometimes that rests over cities. Well, in the kingdom, it's completely different. People start thinking of, you know, that neighbor, they're just, uh, they've done so much to encourage us through the years. We really need to do something to honor them. Where well, they never would have thought of that five years ago. But what happens when there's cultural shift is you have people start drawing drawing out of who God intended them to be. They start living out of the deep place instead of the shallow place of hurt and inferiority and all this stuff. They start living out of the deep place of destiny and purpose. See, this is this is what we want. Is We want a saved culture. We want a transformed culture. We have so much going on in our area and um, some I won't talk about just because it's 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 too precious, and I need to protect it. If I talk about it, I'll put a bullseye on it, and I don't want to attract uh, enemy fire from or friendly fire to some of the things that are happening. Um, but there's there, you know, we're in process. We've not arrived by any means whatsoever. But there is such a shift. For example, maybe not silly, but little things, little things that maybe. Nobody else would notice, or you know, wouldn't be a big deal. For me, it's a huge deal. Our city used to be uh, many, many years ago it used to be called Poverty Flats, and um, and it really has had that spirit of poverty. It's coming out of that. It's really, it started a number of years ago when the church started giving to other churches. Something was broken in the spirit, and and there's this thing of, there's this thing of generosity that is starting to impact broader and broader circles in our city generosity is a huge part of kingdom culture. I just got a notice on this trip. Uh, my wife sent me, you know, she says, you'll love this. And she sends me this little story that was in the newspaper. Somebody wrote a letter to the editor and a little story. Uh, it said they went to the grocery store and somebody that was next to them just asked if they could buy their groceries. And uh, and and they said, no, I, I I don't mind buying my own groceries, and they said, "No, please." You know, they really insisted, without being rude. They'd really like to honor them, and, and as a citizen of our city and whatever, and they wanted to buy their groceries. So they said, "Well, it's going to be about a hundred bucks." He said, "I, said, I have a hundred dollars," and uh, it was just a it was a young man who was just standing there in line, who uh, paid the groceries, and he got the first name. He never got it. He turned around, and the guy was gone. He was he wrote the check, did everything needed. And he turned around to thank him and get his name and be able to write him a thank you note. And he, and he was gone. He wasn't there to, to be applauded. He was there to serve. And so he, they write this letter to the editor saying, and they did ask him, well, where are you from? He says, well, I, I attend Bethel, uh, the, the church that I pastor. And um, this story gets done over and over and over again. last year, or maybe may have been earlier this year, at one of the Starbucks, you know, the drive-up window, somebody paid for the coffee behind them. And that person paid for the coffee of the customer <laughs> behind them. Listen, it went on for six hours, unbroken. Unbroken. We've had we've had restaurant people tell us that you know you, you, you're really making things hard for us. Nobody can buy their own meals anymore. And it's there's this there's just this shift there's just this shift that is just. Uh, it's just crazy. I, uh, one of our students needed, uh, um, I, I was teaching last week in our school of ministry. And I, I, I felt like one of them had asked the Lord for $500 that morning. And so I said, is there, is there someone here who asked the Lord this morning for $500? A lady right in the front row raised her hand. So I said, come here. And I gave her not. I said, this isn't 500 I said, it's 50 I said, but there's 500 in the 50 See, that's the way the kingdom sees. We have to shift the way we see. There's an oak tree in the acorn. Farmers are some of the most godly-minded people in this sense, kingdom-minded people, because they know that kernel of corn will produce more than a kernel of corn. If it's used properly, it has to be put into the right atmosphere for it to come into its potential. So I, I called her up. I said, I'm going to give you a seed. This is $50. And this is the seed to what you need. So that evening, she went to a grocery store. And there was a, a very poor family in front that couldn't afford what they had picked out. And she she thought to herself, well, I've got 50 So she she wasn't even thinking of seed. She was thinking, I need to help these people. So she said, well, I'll pay for it. And they're, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. She says, oh, yeah, yeah, I've got 50 She paid for the for the groceries, and, uh, and she thought to herself, well, there goes my 50 bucks, <laughs> but she wanted to do it. There was no hesitation. She helped the people. She got home, and somebody came to her with $500. <laughs> See, the Bible says when you give to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and he has really high interest rates from 50 to 500, that's, that's significant interest rates right there, 30, 60, 100 fold, come on. I'm going to end with this. This is actually the ending. Now, it's a long runway, so I'm going to touch the plane down, but it is, there is a distance from where I land to where I park the plane. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transform nations. That's what we want, isn't it? And we want our nation healed. We want it transformed. Transformed nations come about because there are transformed cities. Transformed cities come from transformed people. Transformed people are only transformed through the renewing of the mind. The domino effect for us to bring national transformation is the renewing of the mind. Because the renewing of the mind can prove the will of God. The word actually is not to prove in the sense of demonstrate, that's the outcome. But the word is actually approve. When your mind's renewed, you approve the will of God. Do you know what it means? It means... Let's say I were an art appraiser, and uh, I had specialized in one particular artist my whole career, and I've studied the colors, the nature of the canvas, the brush strokes, everything, signature, everything. I just know this guy so well. And so I've studied him. You come to me with, here's this old, uh, this famous artist, and you come to me with what you believe is a piece of art from that guy that nobody knows about. Well, if it is, obviously it's worth millions. So I'm the art appraiser, so I look at it. I study the colors, the history, the how old the canvas is, the paints, the strokes, everything about it. And the, what the word approve means, it means to thoroughly examine, to authenticate. So I look at that painting, and I go, yeah. We, we never knew this painting existed. This, this, was, this was painted by him. Or I, or I look at it and say, Man, it's got the right signature. But see these colors here? Those colors weren't in existence then. This kind of, these, this kind of oils, these, they didn't have access to that. That's only been recent. Or You see this brush stroke? That's, that's inconsistent with his brush stroke. So I'd invalidate. So you have a disease in your body. A good friend calls you and says, I had a dream about you. Now, this good friend has character. Great, great integrity and great devotion to you. They call you on the phone. They say, you know, I was praying for you uh, last night when I went to bed. I had a dream. The Lord appeared to me in a dream. And he told me that this disease in your body is just for a season. And after enough people get saved, he will then heal you. And then you have another friend call you. Same kind of character and integrity. Calls and says, um, I saw you in worship this next Sunday morning. And I saw during the worship time the Spirit of the Lord came upon you and that disease left your body. You have two paintings. You have two paintings. And you have the full record of the kind of paintings he paints. Right here in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And now you have to take that painting and put it against the backdrop of what he did. And you have to come to the conclusion that one of the dreams is authentic and one is not. Why? Because that's your job. God wants to renew your mind so that you recognize what's authentic. Because when we approve it, we become the amen that releases the reality into the earth. Let's stand. I should have warned you at the beginning, I preach the eternal gospel. <laughs> the person standing next to you really needed to hear that. They really did. They they needed so bad. And you know it. If they're friends, of you were glad they were sitting there. You're saying to yourself... I'm sure glad they were here because they needed that a lot. Put a hand on their shoulder and pray for them, would you? Pray for the real spirit of breakthrough to come. The spirit of breakthrough. The the rapid increase. The anointing for increase and breakthrough. Pray that they truly get it. In the deep of their heart, pray for the renewing of their minds. That there would be a true transformation of minds. Yeah, pray a little more aggressively. Pray like you actually believe God's going to do something. They're in desperate need of your help right now. Release that spirit of breakthrough over this company of people for the renewing of the mind to transform cities. Help us to be able to bring true kingdom answers into society. True spirit of breakthrough. Absolute turnaround. Thank you, Lord. Renewing, renewing, renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. mind. Total transformation of the mind. Thank you, Lord. Amen. You did that good. Now put your hand on your heart and pray for the person who really needed to hear it. <laughs> One of my most favorite prayers is, Oh, God. Oh, oh. Just honestly, just begin to pray for you, your household. Just the spirit of breakthrough would come because we, it's a great time for us to display how wonderful the Father is, what He's like. To display it. To put Him on display. To reveal what His will is like. How much He loves people. He restores the most broken situations. Thank You, Lord. Holy Spirit ask that You would come and that there would be a rich impartation of hope. 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 How many of you came to this event Um Weak in hope, and specifically, you you want you came wanting that healed. Just put a hand up. Just just weak in hope. Just it's it's a really big deal that we have hope because the person who has the most hope has the most influence, and the, and the way we get positioned into influence into culture and societies by having is being just possessed by hope, just being hopelessly hopeful. Put your hand up again if that's you. We'll take just a moment for this, but I want you to lay hands on these folks. Let's pray a supernatural breakthrough comes upon them. Where hope they become known for hope. Lay hands on them. Lay hands. You see somebody next to you with their hand up. Lay hands on them. Just lay hands on them. A mantle of hope that is supernatural. Supernatural hope. Release the grace for supernatural hope. Great, great hope. Yeah, when we're weak in hope, we're weak in faith. Hope is the atmosphere faith grows out of. So, Lord, we pray for that just refreshing of the Spirit of God right now to restore all that has been stolen from these individuals. We pray for absolute infusion of supernatural hope. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.